0: What's up, my name is Matt Issa, here to bring you episode six of Blazing the Trail. On this episode, we'll be spotlighting the rain man, Sean Kemp. Please remember that the article I wrote on Kemp is also live as we speak, and you can find the link to that and parts one through five of this series in the description below, or just by visiting basketballnews.com. On this episode, we have what may be my favorite duo of guests so far, We have coach George Carl, the former head coach of the Seattle Supersonics and the sixth most winningest coach in NBA history, and the current head coach of the Atlanta Hawks and also Mr. Sonic, Nate McMillan. Again, please be sure to check out the article I wrote on Kemp, along with the insights I got from George and Nate. It also quotes from my interview with longtime Supersonic scout Ivan Kelly and has some really sweet infographs. I don't know about you guys, but I am a sucker for really cool like designs and graphics and all of that cool stuff. Anyway, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you turn to for your podcast consumption. We have so many more great interviews with players and coaches coming up, and I just really don't want you guys to miss out. Next time, we have another former Supersonics coach in Dwayne Casey on to tell us about what made Dirk so revolutionary and to explain why everyone in the Mavs organization called him dirty. So yeah, do the thing, subscribe, and stay tuned. Without further ado, I give you Blazing the Trick. So I want to start out really quickly because, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this weren't, you know, 100% coherent during this time, a lot, maybe younger people, and not everyone went back and watched the supersonics, you know, like, like a nerd right here. But can you just really quickly, briefly explain Kemp's game? What made him so special?
1: Oh, wow. He's a 6'10", maybe 6'11". People don't understand how big he was. And people don't understand how athletic he was, and and people don't give him enough credit for being a good basketball player. You know, Sean respected the defensive end of the court. Sean respected the passing of the ball. Uh, you know, was was a teammate. Uh, you know, his only weaknesses were, you know, you know, off the, you know off to court activities, coming to practice on time. Not, a, you know, I mean, he and Gary were, you know, they were okay practice players, but they weren't great practice players. I think as he got older, and Sean got a little better about his offense and his jump shot came a little bit and he got a little bit better at the elbows. And uh, I think he knew he had to practice that stuff to probably be efficient and effective in it. But, you know, we had a team in Seattle that was good almost at everything. Mm-hmm. And we had some old veterans, and and Dallas Shrimp and Sam Perkins, kind of. I think gave Sean a really good, uh, you know, uh, really good guidance by their work ethic and what they were doing as pros. Uh, and you know, and the thing I can all I can tell NBA basketball fans, we played them, we played the Bulls in the NBA finals and. 96, I think, and and go back and watch it. He was the best player on the floor that year. I mean, Michael Jordan had a good, Michael Jordan got the MVP, but the best player on the floor in those six games, in my opinion, was Sean Kim.
0: Yeah. Now I want to ask, because you, you know, you're the sixth, I believe, most winning coach all times. You've coached a lot, a lot of different players, a lot of talented players. Mm -hmm. Where does, Kemp rank in terms of just you know pure athleticism, pure talent among all the players you've coached.
1: I, I don't think I can put five guys ahead of them. Mm-hmm. You know the guys that come to mind are they're great ones. You know Julius Erving. Um, you know uh, a little bit LeBron. Uh, I mean, Sean was as big as LeBron was, mm-hmm. uh, and probably taller. But people don't understand, Sean weighed 265 pounds. Uh, I was always amazed when I looked at his weight. I go, he doesn't look like he weighs 265 pounds.
0: He's cut. He's very cut, too.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he had a kind of a Superman, Dwight Howard's shoulders, to Mm -hmm. thin waist. Uh, uh, You know, the great players of, like, Elgin Baylor. I I never saw Elgin play, but I heard he was a great athlete. You know, a guy I, 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 I admired in the ABA, Connie Hawkins, George McGinnis. Um, they don't make him as athletic as, as Sean was in his speed and his explosiveness. You know, he was one of the great jumpers until he got a little out of shape and, and went to the big bulky body. Um, I mean, my first year, I was just amazed. Some of the lobs that Gary would throw, I thought were going to go way out of bounds. And somehow Sean found them and caught them. Um, and they had a good connection on the court as our, our team had a good connection on the court. Uh, but, you know, we were a defensive team too. We won most a lot of our games because we defended first. And um, Sean never backed off on of a, a defensive challenge.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's something I'm glad you mentioned because you mentioned two really important things right there. And I think that's his, his rim running, you know, his ability to catch lobs and just finish around the rim and then very underrated, underappreciated, like rim protector. He was a very good defender. And I feel like in today's game, if you don't have like Nikola Jokic or Carl Anthony Towns, like a superstar offensive big man, you want them to be like Sean Kemp. You want them to be that type of big man. And so Like I'm not trying to discredit anyone's career, but and of course, like during the time you could say you would say for sure that someone like Carl Malone had a better career than Sean Kemp. But I feel like, and I want to know if you agree with me, if you put the two in today's game, Kemp's Kemp's style probably translates better to what we see today. Would you agree?
1: Definitely. If you if he could have gotten his jump shot out to the three point Mm -hmm. line. I mean, Sean was one of the few guys I liked having the ball at the top of the key and playing one-on-one.
0: Mm-hmm. Great face-up uh, game.
1: Uh, you know, his explosiveness was very difficult for big men to cover. And if you put a little man on him, you put him underneath the basket, they couldn't cover him there either. So it was basically what, who you cover him with where well, you know where to go with. And Sean got really, you know, he had a good basketball IQ and he got a little better at that as he got older. Carl um, Malone, Sean Kemp, they met, matched Jerry Sloan, George Carl, Gary Payton, and John Stockton. That was a great, great matchup over about a 10-year period, a seven, eight-year period that we were in Seattle together. And, you know, Carl Malone was probably more consistent and fundamental. But I, you know, I'm loyal to Sean in this one because I just think you know, Carl had a longer career, mm-hmm. lasted longer. Um, but in their prime, I'm taking Sean. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And now, so I've been put on kind of a mission here. I talked to a couple of weeks ago, one of your former scouts assistants, uh, Ivan Kelly, and he met, he wanted me, he made, he said, I have to ask you about this. I have to ask you about the the two out play you would run with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. Do you remember it? Can you explain the play to me?
1: Uh I don't know what two out play. I don't I remember the the one play that we really got with mm-hmm. was spin lobs mm-hmm. with with Gary with Gary and Sean. Both Sean throwing it to Gary and Gary throwing it to Sean. Uh two out usually had some type of pick and roll coverage in it. Nice. I remember that. I remember two two up or two down. I remember two down. I probably don't remember two out as much as I remember two down. But two out might have been Gary and Sean basically in the two-man game at the elbow and the freedom, the giving them a freedom and trying to ice the other guys to get a spin lob or get a dunk. I mean, it was not a play for a jump shot. It was a play to get into the, into the paint and into the basket. Uh, but I don't exactly remember total details of it.
0: Yeah, was a long time he, ago he was, now. He was saying um, it was basically, like you said, like a wing pick and roll empty corner for Peyton and right. Kemp. But um, so speaking of the pick and roll, and I you know, I can't say I watched all 30 teams from the 90s like very consistently. I'm, you know, I'm a very young guy. I've had to go back and rewatch a lot. But I do feel like you guys ran the pick and roll with Peyton and Kemp a little bit more than everyone else was. And it was very worked very well because of Kemp's tools. And then Peyton was a really good driver and passer. But you guys also posted up a lot. And, you know, Kemp was a, a strong post-up player. He had that power spin move, but he didn't have like the Hakeem dream shake per se. And I'm just thinking about it, like looking back on it, do you wish you ran more pick and rolls during that time?
1: Uh, Probably, you know, I think you're right. We probably ran as much as any of them in anybody, anybody in the league.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But the the draw and kick game wasn't there. The post-up game Mm -hmm. still was efficient. We had we had a lot of guys who could post up, though. We had Gary Payton. Um, we had Sean. We had Sam Perkins who was good against a lot of matchups. Douglas mm-hmm. Shrimp was good against a lot of matchups. So we sometimes got, you know, our post-up game we probably were more confident in, mm-hmm. uh, matchup game. But, you know, our best game when we played best was when we traded our offense with our defense. With turnovers... Yes. Yeah, And trying to create, I mean, we we played one year trying to break the steal record
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we didn't get to it. Phoenix still has it, but the steal record is almost like 12 or 13 steals a game and we got close, but we didn't get to it. And so when you're stealing the ball 10 to 12 times a game, you know, that's where Sean got hungry. That's where he got anxious. When when we got a steal, Sean made an extra effort to get out and get, get the dunk
0: yeah and uh, so I was going to, have to wait a little bit to talk about this but you you've've you've, you've, you've uh, piqued my curiosity So as I was doing research on this team and camp preparing for our conversation, I stumbled across a, a very interesting figure. I'm sure you'll smile when I say his name and I've become very infatuated with his coaching style um, Coach Cloppy in that SOS pressure defense. Can you, first of all, explain it a little bit more to listeners who aren't familiar with it? And then can you please, can you please tell me what gives you the, like, how do you trust this guy with this, um, just something that's so crazy, so different from all the defenses we'd really seen before then and during that time? How do you trust him to install that into your team? Well, you
1: know, my thing early in my career was scoring off your defense. Mm-hmm. And everybody says it, and I, and I think most coaches believe it, that. You win, you win championships of defense. So it was a way of us kind of making defense fun. It's pressure, but it's a lot of double teaming and rotating and scrambling and extra effort. Uh, all those things work with extra effort. So a work hard team was really important at that time. Kloppy wanted to put SOS on every possession. Mm-hmm. I thought we, did, we were doing great when we did it a half the time. And I think a lot of games we did it half the time. We pick up full court. We shadow the ball. We double at half court. We double on the post up. We double the pick and roll. Cloppy wanted to double team the Coke Machine. You know, I mean, I mean, you said you d-
0: didn't you say one time you wanted to double team uh, Jesus Christ or something like that?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I kept going. Cloppy, we don't have to double this guy, you know. And, and we'd argue. I, I bet you, Bob Kloppenberg and I argued almost on a daily basis on mm-hmm. something that we're not putting in a game plan. And, uh, you know, uh, and clumpy stuff works, especially with the athletes we had. The one thing about the San Antonio team, when we had uh, Derek McKee and, and then Dettler Shrimp, you know, I think today's game is length. Length is becoming mm-hmm. really, really important in today's game. It's not how big or how tall you are, but how long you play. There are a lot of guys that are long that don't play long. Mm-hmm. And then there are guys that are just so aggressive. They play long. And I think the NBA now, because it's gotten so much offense, you cannot play bad defenders anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game has gotten so efficient, so offensively effective, that there's so many possessions now in a game that you cannot, you don't have defensive concepts. you got to have defensive pride. And... Uh, that's kind of what we had in, the, in in Seattle. I mean, we were we were a team that loved to play offense, but we we actually pride we had more pride and proud that we were proud of our, of our defense. And in in back in that era in the nineties, defense was so much more prevalent. The good teams all were damn good defensively.
0: Now, I mean, like you said, the length, you guys had so much length. I mean, Peyton and McMillan, usually the two smallest guys on the floor, and they're like 6'4", 6'5". They're long. They're, they're feisty. Um, you know, Shrimp's long. He wasn't, like, fast, but he's positionally sound. Of course, you know, Sam Perkins, awesome defender, underrated defender. What was Kemp's role in making that defense work?
1: Well, Kemp was there, kind of like what, what we all want now in today's game. We didn't switch. We switched a lot.
0: You did. Yeah.
1: And switching the pick and roll, switching on the guards. Mm-hmm. Sean Kemp was ahead of his time there. I mean, even Sam Perkins was, too. Uh, but and then the thing that people always tried to do back then was when you switch the guard onto a big guy, and that's an automatic post. Today, the big gets attacked and you find, try to find a three ball. But back, people forget that Gary Payton, the, the switching work because of us was we were really good at double-teaming the post-up. But Gary Payton and Nate McMillan were damn good post-defenders. Fronting, Mm -hmm. getting around in front, making them throw over the top, and then we got the double-team behind. I think think the combination of our big guys could switch and Mm -hmm. keep the ball in front of them, plus our little guys could cover big guys on the post-up a lot more than people thought.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree. I think McMillan... McMillan and Perkins have to be like two of the most underrated players of the nineties. Like people don't understand how good they were. Now, coach, we've um, we've talked about the defense that I, by the way, I can understand why people are always like clamoring for a team to come back to Seattle. Cause that, that time was just so fun. The way you guys played defense, like I find myself smiling a lot. And so in my notes, I wrote down this and I want, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I said, personnel wise, you guys remind me a lot of today's Boston Celtics you know, with like Kemp being like smart and Sam Perkins being like Horford and, you know, we'll talk about, um, not Kemp being like smart, excuse me, Peyton being like smart. Um, and your, but your style reminds me a lot of Nick nurse's Raptors. You guys play an aggressive defensive scheme. You try to get out and run and you have just so much length. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you see the similarities? Have you talked to those coaches over there about what you were doing back then?
1: Uh, you know, I, I think over the years, I've talked to, you know, Greg Popovich, I think, has become more of a aggressive defensive team. as In the old days, he had two big guys protecting the paint all night long. I think everybody in the NBA is kind of searching for more offense from defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the double team has gotten lost because everybody's fearful of the three-point shot. But I, I, I think you're going to see more aggressive defenses I've I've told my son, who coaches in the G League, yes, you know, find maybe find the zone a little bit more. You know, every, every once in a while someone tinkers with the zone. It looks like they might go a little further, but they never do. I think in the next five to ten years, someone's gonna play a lot more zone. Uh I I know I've been saying that for about five years and it hasn't happened. Um, but I really do believe you can double team more than teams do. And and risk giving up the three point shot a little bit more. But I think we all know the three point shot right now, everybody's trying to figure out how valuable is it. is it. Is it is it is it is shooting half your shots the way to go, or is there a better way to go?
0: Now, coach, not to uh not to pivot the other direction, but offensively, I wanted to touch on this a little bit because I did notice I know you guys post up a lot, but you still had like a really egalitarian, pretty progressive offense you guys ran. You had a lot of different scores you relied on. I know later in your career, you talk about Coach Wahlberg helping you install the dribble-drive motion offense, but who were your like uh, inspirations early on? Which coaches did you model your style um, based off early on offensively?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think early on, I think my foundation has always been North Carolina basketball. Mm-hmm. Trying to make the game more of a Wii game than a one-on-one game or an isolation game. So I think you got to start with North Carolina. Larry Brown had a lot of influence on me early, but I think the guy I probably had the most influence on the guy I talked to probably the most about offense was Don Nelson. Mm-hmm.
0: Nelly and I just
1: uh, Nelly and I just tinkered with the game a lot. Uh, I I helped him one year out of the CBA in the playoffs, and
0: uh, you know he he was
1: playing long like. Um, You know, he had Paul Pressey and Sidney Moncrief and big guards, long guards. Um, uh, And so I would say offensively, Don Don Nelson. And then, uh, you know, Rick Majerus and I always compared notes and laughed a lot. And he thought I was crazy to go to the dribble drive, but I'm glad I did. And, hell, today's game is how many teams run dribble drive now? About 90 percent? Yeah. It's all
0: read and react.
1: Read and react. I like that. I would steal that one if I was coaching.
0: Yeah, you should be. Um, I was going to say, now with Kemp, I'm going to, because you, like I said, you know, between me and you, you're a little bit older than me, if you couldn't tell. So I'm going to rely on you for this part. Before, so when you saw Kemp, when you first saw Kemp as a player, who did he remind you of? Like historically, his play style, that athleticism. I know you mentioned a couple names, but is there anyone who he really... It's like, damn, that's that's like this person 2.0. That's what Sean Kemp is.
1: That's a hard one. You know, even since, even after Sean Kemp, the combination of speed, quickness, mm-hmm. and power doesn't come together very often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone always said Sabonis was like Sean Kemp before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. So before Sabonis became big... He was a little more on his thinner side. He played outside a little bit more early in his trip. I did not see him play a lot. Uh, but that's not a good one. A skinny Dominic Wilkins would be the only guy that I would kind of, you know, Dominic Wilkins had, had some power to his game. He had some explosive to his game. You, you're going to have to help me on that one. Um, you know, the guy that I thought played a little bit but wasn't as big as Sean was James Worthy. Uh, yeah, early, early in his career, he was more of a rim runner, a, a, yeah. a rim finisher,
0: isolationist kind of.
1: But, I mean, I mean, people don't understand how how big he was and how strong he was, and how, and how athletic he was.
0: Mm-hmm. See, the one that came to my mind, and I haven't I haven't seen a ton of him, but kind of remind me a little bit of like Daryl Dawkins, just a little bit with the rim running, in the, the the high flying.
1: Yeah, well, Daryl never got to uh, an outside game. He never mm-hmm. got into being a, a shooter.
0: Yeah. Kemp had and developed Sean, that, that face-up jumper in the mid-90s.
1: Yeah, Sean Nugget was series. more of a, you know, you said it. You know, his post-up game was good, mm-hmm. but his face-up game was probably what he was confident in more yes. than the post-up game.
0: I agree. So, But now, turning to the future, since Kemp, I, I have three names I can think of, but I want to hear you first. Who, who in today's game kind of reminds you of Kemp? Oh, man.
1: Well, I'm not a big fan of big guys, post-up big guys, because it's such a low-efficient game. Uh, so it's going to be a guy that can score points out facing the basket out front. You're going to have to help me. Throw some names at me, and I'll okay. say yes or no.
0: So the first one, he doesn't play anymore. But in his prime, I think offensively, defensively, Kemp was a much better defender. But um, Amari Stoudemire offensively reminded me a lot of Kemp.
1: That's a good one.
0: Yes. Not,
1: you know, not as big as Sean, mm-hmm. but was very effective outside and inside. It was a hell of a rubber. He
0: had and the vacuum the guy, hands, too.
1: A guy named Steve Nash was pretty good with him, too.
0: Yes, Steve Nash. He's also... um. Just a sidebar. He's actually Steve Nash is also part of the series I'm working on. I, um, he was the first part of the, the series. This is a 10-part series, 10 different players. But I digress on that. So the second one I had, um, Ivan actually gave me this idea. And I feel like Kemp, not as good of a passer, but, I mean, Giannis is pretty similar to Sean Kemp. What did you say?
1: When I first saw Giannis, he, learned, he reminded me, athletically, Mm-hmm. and explosiveness and length. Um, but, you know, he weighed 195 pounds. So that was, Sean weighed 260. Uh, but now Giannis definitely. And and Sean struggled making his jumper early in his career, kind of like Giannis did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like that comparison because, you know, Giannis went on to go to the NBA Finals and win one. And Sean got there once. We should have gotten there at least one other time. We didn't choke away some opportunities. Yeah, I like that one better than any of them. Today, Sean, it's not I mean, Giannis when he was younger was explosive and skinny, but not powerful. Mm-hmm. Now he's powerful and he's probably my favorite player right now in the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just uh, I called Giannis when I wrote an article a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, excuse me, on Giannis. It was I called him the the ultimate scavenger of like the low-hanging fruit. So, like great offensive rebounder, he could finish lobs, he could rim run, fast break. He was incredible. And then I started watching Kemp and I'm like, whoa, this is like everything Kemp does. Like, this is awesome. And he was doing it, you know, in the 90s. So you can only imagine again, like I said, the passing. Giannis is a better passer than Kemp was. But I'm sure that would because that wasn't really prioritized back then for a guy uh, like Kemp to be yeah. a good passer. In today's like
1: game, you would probably make Sean pass the ball a little bit more.
0: Mm-hmm you
1: probably get more
0: touches months. as a playmaker. Yeah, I, I agree. he probably run the pick and roll, honestly, a couple times.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, we, we experimented with mm-hmm. Sean with the ball and Gary setting the pick and roll for G- Sean.
0: We didn't run it a
1: lot, but every once in a while we ran
0: it. Now, so, you know, as I said, like everyone loves those 90s Sonics teams. You, you've coached a lot of really great teams in your career, but what was it about coaching those Sonics teams in that era that made that experience a little bit different for you?
1: Well, you know, when I went to Seattle, I mean, I was just, it was, a, it it fit, it fit my mentality of where mm-hmm. I wanted to go, being more aggressive defensively, kind of playing Carolina basketball. And then having athletes, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I was the first guy that kind of recognized the game was going athletic, but I really believe I, I was really ahead of the curve, knowing that I game, agree the game was going athletes, going faster, and slow down might win you games, but it's not going to win. It's not going to expand your talent level to winning a championship. And uh, and Bob Woodson in Seattle was a guy that. That he and I were together on more and more athletes and speed and, and playing fast. You know, we made those quiet trades. We traded Benoit Benjamin for Sam Perkins. and we traded Derek McKee for Deadless Shrimp. And the one that got us over the hump was when we met, traded Kendall Gill for Hersey Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Kendall Gill is the better athlete. Hersey Hawkins was a, a quietly really good defender. Mm-hmm. and we, Hawk was our guy that could save Gary and Nate for the fourth quarter. You know, we could put Hawk on all the good scores. He'd work his tail off, and then if we needed the flip-flop, we could put Gary or Nate on that guy at the end of the game. And then always having different faces to cover people who works, I think, really well. And then, you know, the other thing that was evolving in the late 90s and early, early 2000s is the three-point shot. And we we didn't shoot a lot of threes, but our team was a good three-point shooting team. We probably should have shot more. The analytics now would probably say we should have shot more threes.
0: Yeah. Even I talked to Coach D'Antoni for the Nash portion of this series, and he's like, yeah, man. And they shot a lot of threes. You know that. He's like, I wish I shot more. I wish I would have just kept, I wish Nash would have taken 10 threes a game. And it's just crazy, like, because how would you know at that time, you know, what was going to happen?
1: The guy that she shot more is Stockton.
0: Mm -hmm. Stockton was a a
1: hell of a shooter, and he never shot it unless he had to. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, because I feel like it's probably the way he was coached back then, just because point guards, you're taught, you know, you got to set everybody else up, and you can't really look for your own until like, it's absolutely necessary.
1: I agree with that. You know, I think our legacy evolved into a shooting point guard Mm -hmm. league more than, I, I personally like more point guard mentality. But you know, we're also finding more point guard mentality in, this, in the point forward, and now even like Jokić, your point center.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think you can you can find that. I think you're right. You you do need like a stabilizing force on every good offense. Somebody who knows like how to feed this person, how to feed that person. But you're right. It's not. It doesn't necessarily have to be the point guy who plays a point guard position. Just like a your playmaker guy it can be anybody. So I definitely agree with you there. Now, coach. Um, I want to ask, you know, the two series that probably get talked about the most in that Sonics run, the, for better or worse, the 94 Nuggets series, and then you talked about the 96 Bulls series, you know, unfortunately, both times it didn't end up your way. Which series do you wish you had back more? Like you, you, you think about it, you're like, okay, I wish I could have done this different, that different. We would have won. It's the
1: 94 series in Denver? Yes. We were too young in in 94, so I want to take 96 back. Mm -hmm. We were were good enough to win it then. Uh, We were mature enough to win it then. If we had Nate McMillan, I think it's a seven-game series. I think it's... I mean, Nate played... I think someone told me once that Nate played 10 quarters in the Chicago series, and we won nine of them. Mm -hmm. I have never checked that, but... (laughs) That uh, sounds like we were pretty damn good in those nine, those nine those ten ten quarters. You know, he played in game four and five, and he played a little bit in game six. And we won both four and five, and played probably one of the ugliest ending games in an NBA series in game six. Couldn't score. We couldn't. No, neither team could score. It
0: was, it was like sticks, a, in, sticks and stones.
1: Yeah, uh, it was like a, it was a wrestling match.
0: Yeah. No. And I mean, like I said, we, I said it before, like, you know, Nick McMillan, one of the most underrated players of that era. Just, I don't know how big you are on like the one number metrics, but in 1994, so that, you know, that year Jordan's not there at all. Sean Kemp finishes third in box plus minus. Number one is David Robinson. Can you guess who number two is in the league? This is in the league. Who's the second highest box plus minus.
1: And 94. Yeah. About uh, the king.
0: It's Nate McMillan actually. So oh, that just okay. that just tells you how knew, good of a knew, basketball I player he is.
1: Knew Nate McMillan was a hell of a plus minus guy. Yeah. yeah. For many years, even when we before I got to Seattle, Nate was a hell of a plus minus guy. I, I was in the plus minus probably before 4 yeah. was school yeah. to be in the plus minus.
0: Who's that a legendary coach for the 76ers? He used to keep track of like the plus minus for his team in like the 80s. Do you remember who I'm talking about?
1: Coacher was it a PR director. Pollock, Harvey Pollock.
0: Yes, Harvey Pollock. Yes,
1: he he wasn't a. I think he was a PR director. Okay. He was a Big plus minus guy.
0: Oh, I see. That's that's so cool. I'm I'm glad you were on that bandwagon because I love I love plus minus. I think it's awesome, yeah. especially you know the more adjusted stuff we have today. One last thing, Coach, though, before I, I let you go, um, one thing I really appreciate you, about you, um, and you know, please excuse me for making this comparison, but you remind me a lot of when I talked to Coach D'Antoni, just you guys are two, you know, older guys, but you are forward thinking, you're constantly willing to grow with the game, you know, even though you've been there for so long and you know so much, you're open to so many new ideas. And I'm just curious, Coach, because I feel like you still have a lot left to add to today's game. Do you think you'll, you'll ever want to be back on an NBA bench?
1: Uh you know, the last three or four years, my I have a, I have a high school daughter. Mm-hmm. And I, I've committed my life to her for the last four years. She's going to college this year. Would I be open to it? Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be open to talking it. I probably would rather be more as an assistant coach or consultant. Mm-hmm. I really think there's a, there's a need in basketball to bring management and coaches more together because over the last 20 years, I think we've grown apart. And I don't think you win championships growing apart. I think you win championships as an organization being a team and your basketball team being a team. And there's too many organizations in the NBA that are not together. Management's working with one philosophy and coaches sometimes have another philosophy. Coaches are losing that battle now. It's now Mm -hmm. management wants coaches, what's the word, being more you know, in tune with what they want. Well, you know, I think old school coaches like Bill Parcells and Belichick and Pop and me and a lot of other guys, Sloan and whoever you want to throw in there. You know, it it was hard to let management into our locker room. But today, management wants in that locker room and wants to have a voice with the head coach. I'm not sure that's the best way to work, Mm -hmm. but we'll see. But I do know that when management and coaching staffs are together, it makes it more powerful.
0: So, do you think you could do the management side? Would you be open to that? Because you have the coaching experience, the, so you know what I it's like. I'd yeah. be the ambassador between like a liaison. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's too many times when whatever paranoia by the coach and stubbornness by an organization. Mm-hmm. Whatever psychological dilemmas you get into, you, you grow apart. And the whole thing is if you're good enough to win it, you got to grow together.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I 100% agree, coach. And I think that's like a life lesson that, um, that people should just take with them in any organization in life. is just like cohesion, teamwork, right? camaraderie, trust, trust. Yeah, trust thing. and belief. Mm-hmm. That's and, a big part know, of the SOS defense, right? You have to trust that your weak side, your weak side guys are zoning up the, the two defenders properly, correct?
1: Weak side eye, baby. Weak yeah. side eye. But, you know, the whole thing is we demand our team to win mm-hmm. a championship to trust and believe in each other. But there's not a lot of demand in leadership of organizations to trust and believe in each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I really think, you know, I, I think it's a part of leadership, teaching, and coaching. Uh, they're they're all a little different. Leadership's a little different than being a coach on the floor. Coaching, you want you got to be a teacher at times, and then you got to be, for a better phrase, the asshole at times. Mm-hmm. And it's better. It works a lot better when it's together. And I think too many times, you know. The priorities of management don't always coincide with the priorities of coaching.
0: I can't say I agree because I haven't, I haven't been there, so I, I don't know, but I'm going to take your word for it. And um, coach, I really appreciate your time. Also, I want to just say really quickly, I appreciate you being selfless enough to dedicate your time to your podcast. I think it's such a valuable resource for people trying to learn about the game. And I recommend everyone listen to it. But thank you again, coach, for an incredible career as a coach that I could learn from and then this incredible conversation.
1: My pleasure. Take good care of Sean. He's a good man, and I'm glad I coached him for I don't know five and a half years, six years, something like that.
0: I just finished up. I was watching some of the. You're going to get mad at me. I was watching some of the '94 series against the Nuggets.
2: Oh, that, that's okay. That that made us better.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I agree.
2: That made us better.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Coach, I you know I know you don't you don't have too much time, so I don't want to. I don't want to lollygag here. Just really quickly for those who who missed out on on the Kemp experience, can you give them a a brief synopsis of of what his game was like and what really popped about him? I mean, when Sean came into the game uh, uh, or came into the league, you know, at the time, his position was
2: called the power forward. Mm -hmm. And that's how he played the game. You know, he brought that athleticism uh, to uh, the floor. You know the things that you were you saw Blake Griffin do, uh, you know back in the 2000s, is, is Sean Kemp was doing all of that before Blake Griffin, just explosive, uh, very athletic, uh, powerful. Uh, um, you know they we, we called him a man ch- a man chow, you know because he was really uh, a chow a young uh, player playing against men at that time. I think Sean was eighteen, nineteen years old when he came into the league and he was going up with, you know, the guys like Malone and 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 Lucas and, and you know, those are big strong, powerful, mm-hmm. uh, power forwards.
0: Yeah. Now, um, before I ask this next question, you kind of you kinda of got to that you talked about the the lob finishing. Um another thing, you know, he was really, really underrated rim protector. And just really quickly before I get into that. So I was, I, I, f- I found a stat the other day, right? Um, I don't know if you were aware of this, but you, you as a player were incredible with the plus minus stuff, the plus minus data loved you. Right. And in 1994, one of Kemp's best seasons, he finishes third in box plus minus. This is a different variation from the basketball reference one. This is one that was created by Ben Taylor, but, um, you've, Kem finishes third in box plus minus. David Robinson finishes first in the entire league. Who who do you think finishes second?
2: Uh, I know I was close, but I don't know if I was
0: second. You you were second in box plus so minus that okay. season. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the reason I, I knew
2: I was close up in there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The reason I bring that up, um, you know, you were an incredible player in your own right, particularly on defense. You were kind of like a modern guard in terms of you had great size, really just nasty, fierce right? And you really like to pressure people on the ball. But how much does having a guy like Kemp on the back line, somebody you can trust to get your back if you do slip up, how much more comfortable does that make you? How much more apt does that make you to take risks? How much more of a luxury is that? Well, it wasn't one guy. You know, our system was based on, you know, Coach Klockenberg. Yes, the SOS pressure defense.
2: Yes, we wanted to We wanted a fast tempo. Mm -hmm. So the way we could create that fast tempo, we wanted to trap. And we had Gary Payton, who was probably, you know, the best, you know, pressure uh, guy in the league Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, you know, the glove. And then you had, uh, you know, guys like myself and Sean Kemp who were playing like free safeties mm-hmm. and you know, with the speed and the athleticism that we had, the combination of Gary Payton, uh, myself, Hersey Hawkins, uh, Sean Kemp being athletic uh, at that time, uh, Sam Perkins was was a really a power forward that has slid to the center spot for us. Uh, we was really athletic. We wanted to force the tempo by trapping and, you know, forcing you to shoot quickly or trying to turn you over. And, you know, there were many times where Sean and I were playing in the passing lanes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't recall the years, but, you know, I was all a defensive team, uh, you know, a couple of years. I led the league in steals. Mm-hmm. So that was just the fuel fuel for us to get out and run because we had a guy like Sean Kemp. And as you mentioned, uh if if we didn't get the steal, Sean was so athletic uh that he was blocking shots and protecting the rim. You know, we didn't have that big center, you know, like the Elijah Wan's mm-hmm. and 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 uh Patrick Ewans and guys like that to defend the basket. Uh Sean was our guy our uh, you know, our leading shot blocker. So he was coming across when you thought that you had something easy. Uh, he was erasing that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really quick Coach, Just Cause I, I was going to try my best not to mention him, but I was just, um, you mentioned him. So I'm going to just really quick ask the question, how much, how much endurance does it take? How much like training does it take to be like um prepared for the Cloppy defensive experience as a defender for you all the running you have to do all the pressure, all the trapping, all the switching?
2: Well, it was it was just fun. Mm-hmm. I think he created a style of play with the players that he had, you know. We we uh you know, Gary was really good on the ball pressuring uh, we could switch, you know, the switching and, you know, what teams are doing, uh, now. We were doing that then. We were switching one to five. We mm-hmm. were, uh, Very as modern. Team, team calls it icing, keeping the ball on the side. We were pinning you on the side on against pick and rolls and fully rotating and, you know, taking you out of, of what you wanted to run. We, that was the strength of our, our game. We would, take you out of what you wanted to run, similar to a Miami defense. Uh, you mm-hmm. look at the Miami
0: defense now. The gaping. Now, yes. Uh, Miami, uh,
2: Boston uh, this year, Toronto, mm-hmm. where they were swift. They had big guards and they had light-sized uh, guards. You know, Gary, would, Gary was a big guard. Uh, he played bigger than he was. You know, so he would switch on those bigs and then he would front the post and we would dare you to throw the ball over the top. Matter of fact, we wanted you to because it, uh, we wanted to, we wanted you to throw into traps. We wanted to try to again, force that tempo. So what Coach Kloppenberg was doing is basically coming up with a style of play uh, that fit our team and George Carl wanted us to run, you know, so we, we forced the issue. We pressured, we trapped, we uh we we scheme we 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 just we switched, you know, we did all of those things uh because we knew we could disrupt you mm-hmm. and take you out of what you wanted to run.
0: Yeah, you guys were just super modern and the thing about Kemp, we've talked about it. We've talked about the play finishing, the rim running, the lob finishing, the back line defense, the rim protecting. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like if you don't have, for example, if you don't have Nikola Jokic, if you don't have Carl Anthony Towns, like an offensive supernova, in today's game, you want your big man to be Sean Kemp. You want him to be the rim runner, rim protector. Is there anyone in today's game you look at and it's kind of like, huh? He kind of reminds me of Sean Kemp.
2: I mean, Sean could definitely play.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. He, 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 would, he would fit into – Perfect. Uh, you know, this game mm-hmm. today, because
1: he was so athletic at the four, you know, he was a big that could do everything. I mean, he could shoot it. He could run,
2: he could catch, he had great hands, he could dribble, he could pass it, uh, you know, defensively he could switch, you know, he had, he had the, he had the, the swag to, I mean, he, he would, he would fit right in mm-hmm. to, uh, the league uh, today, I'm trying to think of a guy uh, that played, I mean, uh, Bam, maybe, you know, just Bam is a Bam is really a power forward, mm-hmm. and, you know, they've just slid him to the center position because of, you know, the league has changed, but his athleticism, being able to handle the ball being powerful, catching lobs, ducking the balls. I mean, Bam would probably be one of those guys that I would, uh, compare to Sean, but Sean was, I think more powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just, I mean, I mean, you know, Bam is developing into that player. Sean came into league as that guy, you know, so Bam would be one guy, um, yeah, most of your fours and fives
1: now are finesse players. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to compare them to Sean. Sean
2: was a power player and most of your guys, your fours and your fives now, they are, you know, they, they play on a perimeter. Uh, you know, they're not dunking on you. They're shooting over you. Uh, but they're not dunking on you. A Bam would be probably the closest that I can think of right now.
0: Yeah. Now you also, along with, um, the freak of nature, Sean Kemp. Oh, actually, you know, coach, by the way, I had a good joke for you. You know, you know how, uh, you know how Kemp would fit in. You're going to like this. You know how Kemp would fit in? How was that? he fit in like a glove.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. He
0: would. Now, so as I just had to get that pun in, but, um, Yeah. As I was saying, uh, you also had the luxury of playing with another athletic freak in in the X-Man. And I know that in the beginning, Kemp and the X-Man didn't always see eye to eye, mainly because McDaniel uh, might have thought that, you know, Kemp was going to phase him out eventually. He eventually does, unfortunately. But Kemp does say that he learned a lot and he modeled a lot of his game off of the X-Man. Would you say that he was like a precursor? of what we eventually saw in Sean Kemp. Did they have similar games like that?
2: They did have a similar games, but they were different players. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense, they both were power power players. Uh, X-Man was, he was athletic, uh, but he wasn't the hot flyer mm-hmm. like Sean. Uh, X-Man was more of a back-to-the-basket player uh, where, you know, Sean is just going to power over you. Uh, you know, X-Man is his, you know, he played the, X, you know, X Man was a small forward mm-hmm. in the league at that time. X Man would be a, he would be a four or five in the league now, you know. So you're comparing the two, and they play different positions, you know. Uh, X Man was big and thick. I mean, the players were just different then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, X Man, uh, we would drop it to the post, and I don't, I don't know if I, I've seen a more smoother. Turn around jump shot over the right shoulder, uh, than X-Men. Uh, you know, he would just, uh, get you on his back, you know, one dribble or two dribbles to the left, then turn back to his right shoulder and just shoot over the top of it. Uh, unbelievable mid-range game. Uh, just a, you know, turn into a, I mean, a, uh, a, a, a tremendous score for us, uh, in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And Sean, you know, again, Sean came in as that young kid. And, you know, X-Man was on his way out. So, uh, you know, there was going to be some battles. You know, Sean came in with a lot of hype, and rightfully so. And, you know, X-Man had already been there. And he knew that he was on his way out. So it was just going to be that competition. Uh, and they both were tough, you know, X-Man was a tough physical, uh, player. And Sean was this young, uh, athletic, uh, uh, athlete that was coming into the league and coming on the team and basically was going to, you know, the organization
0: was going to build around both he and Gary. Yes. Okay. So there's two series. Um, that really kind of tell the story of Kemp that people talk about a lot. You got the 94 Nugget series, 96 Bull series. In 94, Dikembe does a really good job of containing him. You know, he struggles a lot. And then in 96, he, he plays so well. I mean, I talked to Coach Carl and he said, you know, other than Michael Jordan, I have a hard time naming a guy who was better than Sean Kemp in 1996. Can you explain to me why, what it was about those teams that made him, you know, do so well and then do so poorly based on their personnel?
2: It was, it was basically just, uh,
0: uh, a matchup, Mm -hmm. you know, that was, that was, Denver became a bad
2: matchup for us. Uh, not only, uh, was, uh, Sean neutralized where they didn't have to double
1: team him Mm -hmm. because Mutombo could guard him with his length, uh,
2: you know, one on one, so Denver didn't have to double team or trap or anything on Sean. Uh, the other thing was Gary Payton's matchup with Robert Pack. Mm-hmm. You know, Robert Pack did a really good job on uh, on Gary Payton. So our two young uh, horses, basically uh, the def- it was a bad matchup for us. You know, they they matched up well against us, and you know the, our, our strength they was able to take away our strength, uh, meaning Matumbo guarding, Sean pack guarding, uh, Gary Payton. And at that time, you know, it wasn't, uh, it was a five game series. So, you know, if you, if you, uh, you, we end up, uh, winning, uh, I think the first one and losing that, you know, two, a, I mean, that series is over quickly mm-hmm. as opposed to now you're playing seven game series. Um, so it was a bad matchup against denver uh williams uh you know playing for uh bison and and reggie uh you know they 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 matched up well against us and they got the momentum and you know uh before we could realize what was happening that series was over now the, going to the finals uh going through sacramento sweeping houston you know, battling with uh, Utah uh, and then getting to the finals, those were better matchups for mm-hmm. us. We, 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 we could play our schemes. We could trap, disrupt, create a tempo and establish that tempo uh, because of those teams and how they played. You know, we knew that, uh, you know, Mitch uh, Richmond, uh you know when he was in Sacramento and I mean we could we could just disrupt those guys. Elijah Juan. we knew Elijah Wan was going to be on that left block. You know, so our our defenses uh scheme to uh take those guys out of what they wanted to run. You know, the same thing with uh with Carl Malone. We knew he was gonna be on that left rock block. We knew that he and um uh, Stockton was going to be in a ton of pick and rolls. You know, so we could scheme those teams uh, defensively and take them out and get to the tempo we wanted to play better than we did in '94 against Denver. You know, Denver was just uh, one of those bad matchups for us, uh,
0: and uh, it worked in their favor. Yeah, and uh, I think people—that's the big misconception. People don't really understand about playoffs. It's really—it's not always best team wins. It's matchup based. Yeah. It's style yeah. based. You know, styles make the fights like boxing. Just one quick thing that was always weird to me, because I know that Dikembe did a really good job against Kemp. But then Elijah Wan, who's built pretty similarly, also like a really great defender, all-time great defender. He didn't – Kemp did pretty well against him. Do you really think it was just the extra couple of inches Mutombo had that bothered Kemp? Yeah, but the, the, the difference in the mm-hmm. two was, uh, you know, Kemp really wasn't a shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, and he really wasn't a back to the basket player. No, he only had a power move, really. He had a power yeah. move. So the way that Matumbo
2: guarded him, uh, Kemp had to g- get to the rim and Matumbo was right there at the rim. Mm-hmm. And you know, so that, that was a problem. Elijah is was it was a great defender off the ball, but he didn't he, he didn't guard he didn't guard Sean. Mm-hmm. He was he was helping. So by the time you know, I think uh, uh, God, I can't think of his name. Thorpe uh, that played for Houston. Otis Thorpe. Otis Thorpe. Mm-hmm. By the time Otis Thorpe, I mean Sean would go around Otis, and by the time Elijah Wan was able to get over there, you know, Kent was at the rim, and again we were creating transition by mm-hmm. trapping Elijah Wan mm-hmm. and getting them to shoot. And we would run on them. So it's, it was a different, whole different game, uh, or team, uh, far as the strategy playing them, it, it, you know, planned against Matumbo. Matumbo just, you know, played off of Sean. You let him try to face up and shoot. Uh, you know, we, 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 we couldn't get our traps against them because there was really no one to trap.
0: Because there was you know, no so, long post-up. There was no dream yeah, shake. Yeah, yeah, um, You know, we weren't trapping uh, – we weren't – so it was hard for us to
2: get our tempo, established. that tempo, uh, because of, of Denver's style of play. You know, Robert Pack had a hell of a series. And, you know, he was a guy that, you know, was playing well, but we didn't expect him. You know, Bison Williams had a hell of a series. And, uh, you know, so they didn't have – that Elijah one you know or Carl Malone where we knew where the ball was going you know they we we just got caught uh, against a team that was playing good solid basketball and uh, ended up playing well against us and again the matchups were, were were bad for us but in the Houston series and the and the Utah series and even the Sacramento series, we knew exactly where that ball was going to go. Mm-hmm. And our defense was designed to take, to take those teams, take your best players out. Um, and we, we could do that, uh, against those teams. Once we got into the finals, I was hurt. Mm-hmm. We had a couple guys that was hurt against Jordan. So,
1: We we couldn't we now we couldn't do we we still
2: we couldn't do all the things that we was accustomed to doing uh, because I was injured and I think we had one other guy that had some uh, some injuries uh, uh, in the finals and Gary was kind of out there by himself you know Sean was was uh, was was out there playing but you know really the three of us with some of the other guys kind of uh in there, we were able to dominate you when we were healthy,
0: yes, yeah, I agree. you guys were awesome now, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I just have one more question because I talked to um Ivan Kelly and he said you guys you have a lot of great Kemp stories. I just need to hear what your favorite Sean Kemp story is.
2: It was, it was, it was in this, it was in the playoffs mm-hmm. against, uh, Utah. And we were on a, we were, we were, it was, we were playing at Key Arena. Mm-hmm. And I, it was a, we stole the ball and it was an outlet to Kim. And I was at the other end of the floor. But, um, I'm directly behind Sean, and Sean goes up for a dunk over Cliff Livingston, not Cliff, uh, Antoine Carr. I think it was Carr for Utah, but Sean goes up for a dunk, and he looked like that Jordan logo, and he was so high when I look at when I'm behind him that I could see. I think it was Antoine's. I could see Antoine's head. Jesus he Christ. Jumped, he jumped over. And he was so high. I've never seen an, a player jump that high. And I just remember the uh, uh, the key arena erupting. And there was never a time that you could look in the faces of Utah and, and, and they showed that they were. Defeated. After that dunk, we knew we had them. We knew we had them.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. I just, you know, that reminds. You ever seen the movie Cinderella Man? Uh,
2: I've seen part
0: of it. Yeah. Well, so um, he knocked uh the the big heavyweight macho guy, whatever, Max Bear. He like he knocks um, who who's the actor playing him? I can't remember right now. But he knocks him down, right, and the guy gets back up. Uh it's JJ Braddock. That's James Braddock. That's who the movie's about, James Braddock. And he gets back up, and I remember reading about it after the fact. And like when he got back up, he's like, We knew I knew I couldn't beat him. And I feel like that's what Utah felt like when yeah. that dunk happened.
2: When that dunk mm-hmm. happened and the the arena erupted, you could, could see their body language like mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sean Kemp just—I mean, I mean—he—he—I mean—he was trying to take a charge. He didn't even jump. He was just trying to take a charge, and Sean had a running start—maybe two, or, maybe three, or four dribbles—and it's like he just took off, maybe right in, inside of the free throw line, and jumped over him. And I'm looking at it from the other end, and I could see—I could see Antoine's head. Because Sean was so high, and his legs were spread, and he—it was—it was like it's just, I, I'm getting chills. Just
0: I can tell. Talking about yeah. <laughs> Thanks again so much for listening to this episode of Blazing the Trail. If you enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. It goes a long way towards raising awareness for this series. Hey, I don't make the rules here—just the podcasts. Also. Be sure to download the Basketball News app for notifications when new articles and podcast episodes come out for me and all my other wonderful coworkers at BasketballNews.com. That about does it for me. I'll see you guys next time for the Dirk Nowitzki episode. But in the meantime, be safe and have an awesome day.